Well, hey there, everybody. We'd like to invite you to visit South Dakota through the eyes of local Lou. She'll take you on a tour of lots of things to see and do. So enjoy your virtual visit through the eyes of local And welcome to the Local Lou Podcast. You guys are absolutely the best for sticking with me as I put these episodes out in a very sporadic way. I'm going to let you know that I daydream about this podcast, but real life has been keeping me real busy. So all I have are daydreams. But last weekend, I took Saturday morning for myself and immediately came home to write this episode out, to research this episode. Even though I have another half-completed episode researched and written, I think that this story was had a lot more information available, so it was a little bit quicker to put together. I hope you guys like it, and I appreciate you guys so much for listening and learning about Sioux Falls, South Dakota history from an amateur historian who, well, an amateur history lover, I suppose, <laughs> who enjoys, you know, little adventures and especially uh, small cemeteries out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's super easy to support my endeavors. If you want to check out pictures of historical markers, cemeteries, and areas that I have been, find me on Instagram at Local Loop Podcast. Sharing episodes of my podcast on your social media helps other people find me too, and that's extra awesome. If you listen on Spotify, you can actually add a rating. Yep, brand new to Spotify. You can go ahead and click on some stars and that shows people that you liked the show and it helps people find Local Lou when they're searching for a new podcast. On Apple, you can leave a review and I actually have some really cool reviews on Apple and I'm super duper thankful for you guys that have left such nice words, um, including a local artist here in South Dakota, Claire Lockhart, who herself has a really cool art history podcast called The History of Modern Art with Claire. Check it out. Thank you guys so much again for your support. Now, let's learn about a new historical marker, new to me. It was placed in 2009 in rural Brandon, South Dakota. Now, you'll have to forgive me. I don't know how to say this word out loud. When I read it, I read it as Swadona. I hope that's correct, but if it's not, kindly redirect me. (laughs) And also forgive me because I'm totally going to say it a lot. Historical marker, Swadona Evangelical Covenant Church. A group of immigrants from Sweden gathered in Lockport, Illinois in the mid-1870s and dispatched N.J. Ronland to inspect potential farmland near the Swadona settlement in Minnehaha County, Dakota Territory. Upon receiving his favorable report, 33 people left Illinois and traveled together for several weeks in a covered wagon train. After arriving in Swadona, each family claimed a homestead and built a sod house or carved out a hillside dugout home. The families took turns hosting weekly religious services in their new home. However, the group yearned to have its own church. On April 7, 1877, Pastor John E. Retloff presided and helped organize the Swedish Evangelical Lutheran Mission Church of Swadona. Now in its second century of Christian service, the congregation has worshipped in the three church buildings. Has worshipped in three church buildings. In 1879, a sod church was built one mile east of the site. Two years later, a 28 by 32 foot wooden frame church was built, 100 feet west on the land donated by C.F. Hansen. 
The present building dates from 1913. Lives fulfilled or lost in blizzard may be found resting in peace in the church cemetery. Historical marker, Swedona Evangelical Covenant Church, Rural Brandon, South Dakota. In 1873, Rev. John F. Ratloff, a 29-year-old preacher then from Boone, Iowa, arrived near the Sioux River in Sioux Township, Lyon County, Iowa. Pastor Ratloff was born in December 26, 1843 in Sweden and had immigrated over in 1864. He came to Rock Rapids, Iowa in May of 1873. He then transferred onto a small mail wagon to Larchwood, Iowa. He then set out on foot across the open prairie in search of Swedish settlers that he had heard lived in this region, taking him to the north into Dakota Territory, where Pastor Retloff eventually started two more congregations, the Beaver Valley Lutheran Church of Valley Springs, South Dakota, and Swedona Mission Covenant Church north of Brandon, South Dakota. Pastor Retloff soon brought his bride of one year, Augusta, to the community, and they homesteaded near Valley Springs, South Dakota. Reverend Reverend Retloff himself writes an article published from the Reading Circle in Brandon, South Dakota in 1913. He writes, Now is the takeoff for Dakota. After a couple hours of riding, my driver stopped his horses on the edge of a little brook. He said, Here live Swedish people. I asked him, Where is the living house? The answer became, doesn't the pastor see the house? He pointed to a pipe which stuck up from the earth. I went a few steps down the hill, and look, there was a door. I knocked on the door, and a young woman came out. I said to her that I was out with an invitation from our God. Her eyes filled with tears, and she burst out, Thanks, dear Jesus, that you have not forgotten us. Her husband came now. I became of the of them both so heartily received. Here was a merry home, which Jesus loved. Such was my entry here in Dakota. The article goes on to describe life and times of the pastor. He would eventually retire only a few months before his death and is buried in the Swedona Cemetery alongside his wife. I, of course, am wrapped up in the thought of the woman in the sod house. I want to know about her life, specifically that day. What was she doing and what did it mean for her to have a pastor come in to the middle of nowhere, Dakota Territory, and stay? I love that thought that this pastor specifically traveled quite a bit Um, He decided, though, that Brandon, South Dakota area would be home for the rest of his days. Not an easy place to settle, and he didn't just run one church. I know that the communities were small, but I'm thinking running two small churches is much harder than it sounds. In Sedona Cemetery, it's, by the way, gorgeous, and um, it's kind of a really just adorable little cemetery, but there's this rose-colored stone carved with a cross and these cool designs, and that is where the reverend and his wife are buried. The only child I was able to find on record was Sophia, and with the reverend being older in life when he got married, and Augusta, his wife, actually seven years older than him from what I was able to find, this is not a great recipe for baby making. I don't care what time period you live in. So I'm sure they were quite pleased with just the one child, Sophia, who lived to her mid-70s, as did her child, Helen. And they're all buried there in the Swedona Cemetery. A church that started in settlers' homes moved to a sod church built by the congregation, with the men making sod bricks and the women making the bricks more uniform once they were part of the structure. 
Then it went to a wooden frame church built in 1881. And this would go ahead and and work for them until 1910 when a parsonage was added. It's unclear to me at least if the building was completely eviscerated or if it was gutted or if it was rebuilt. Uh, From the pictures, I can kind of see it both ways, but I'm not sure if there's any vestige of the prior wood structure in the structure that now exists from 1913. So if you were listening when I read the historical marker, you would know the last line of the historical marker refers to lives fulfilled or lost in a blizzard may be found resting in peace in the church cemetery. Hey, historical marker, don't play with me like that. (laughs) Just tell me the story. I don't like that at all, but I also kind of love it that they don't tell you you have to go find it. Um... It was an epically cold morning when I visited the cemetery and I had uh, read the weather report and it said that it was going to be 47. So I dressed accordingly. However, I neglected to fully consider that my adventure would be taking place shortly after sunrise. And thus it was a blustery 17. Yeah. (laughs) And all I had on was a sweatshirt, which was not nearly enough. So I swiftly walked through the cemetery. I didn't take enough time to fully appreciate every stone. I did not visit each member of the club as I like to in smaller cemeteries. So I just quickly walked through seeing about 90% of the people and finding a few things to look up once I got back home. Of course, now that I'm safely back at home and in the heat with a cup of coffee and a fake fire going, I now am going to look up these people and uh, I'll go back to explore more on a warmer day. There's going to be time. They're not moving anywhere. There are a few bloodlines in the cemetery where there are a lot of people from the same families and I like that. But we all know after reading that last line of the historical marker, I am now officially here to find someone that died in a blizzard. So there's a couple ways to go about that. I thought if I couldn't find them when I was there, I could at least kind of look for dates around big blizzards that I'm aware of because there are a few. But this one was a little bit easier than that. (laughs) Um, It's literally etched in stone. It is on the headstone. So there's that. His headstone is a lower profile, couple inches off the ground sort of headstone in that pretty old white maybe marble. Um, And it says, Israel Grandstrom, homestead one mile south of this location, perished in blizzard, January 12th, 1888. Online, I was able to see that, at least from two different sources, that he was 60 years old when he perished. And then I was actually able to find an article about it. The blizzard of January 12th, 1888, which became known as the children's blizzard because so many children died trying to go home from school. It's one of the deadliest winter storms in the upper Midwest. Maybe some of you have read the book The Children's Blizzard. I've actually picked it up and looked at it a few times at Last Stop CD Shop when I'm book shopping, but I've never actually bought it. I think next time I page through it, I should just commit and buy it. Anyhow, (laughs) that's besides the point here. Uh, The obituary for Israel. His obituary reads, Israel Grandstrom lost. So I suppose it's not an obituary, right? It's just an article. Sorry about that. The article for Israel states, A farmer by the name of Israel Grandstrom living... Whew. That is um, hard to read. Um, Let's just... Let's blank out that word. So (laughs) living miles 
northeast of Sioux Falls in Brandon Township is missing and undoubtedly frozen to death. He went on Thursday to the farm of Miss Foskey and about four o'clock left for home. He passed Mark Bridges' place during the worst of the storm, but never reached home. Search was made for him all day yesterday, but no trace of him was found. Mr. Foskey was in town at four o'clock and reports him still missing. Jonas Anderson, another neighbor, says the search has been made all day and that he cannot be found. Grandstrom is an old man about 60 years old. He only had about a mile to go and thought he could reach his home before the storm became too serious. There is no question but what he has been frozen to death as inquiry everywhere has failed to find any trace of him. What I find interesting about this article is, did they ever find his body? Like, what happened there? What's buried there? Hmm. I will say the article says that he's 63 years old, and I just said 60 because what I looked up was 60. I don't know. Ages are hard. I don't know. I always thought that, I always thought that family information, like things written in Bibles and things, would be better dates to go by than some that are other places. But after talking to somebody that does a lot of family research, they said that those dates can be just as wonky because it depends on who's writing them. And I think that's a really fair description because I have a lot of siblings and family members. I pretty much know their birthdays, but not like a lot. So I think it'd be really hard to write down somebody's birthday. I mean, I know most of the days, but maybe not the years. I don't really, I don't really think about that stuff too often for myself. So I don't know. I recently went to a history talk with a family historian, Charles Birdall, who talked about his family connections to the writer Ole Rolveg, O.E. Rolveg, the Norwegian American author who wrote Giants in the Earth. And we've actually talked about him a few times on Historical Markers in the first episodes of Local Loose. Specifically, Augustana, The School on Wheels, talks about the author for a moment. Well, spoiler, if you have not read Giants in the Earth, skip this part, okay? The male protagonist of the saga, Per Hansa, dies in the 1881 blizzard, and his body is not found until spring. Now, Rolvig was married to the daughter of a Norwegian immigrant who came to America and settled in Dakota Territory, the now Gerritsen area in South Dakota, which is pretty close, but not exactly where we're at here. So it's possible that there are other similar stories in the community, but the thought popped into my head that just maybe this could have been a little inspirational family tale that could then be spun into Perhansa's demise in the novel. Well, at the downtown library the other day, I found a 1987 edition, Minnehaha County Historical and Biographical Sketches. I will right away say that this book breaks up items in the index in a way that hurts my soul. (laughs) No page numbers are given. Oh my gosh. Um, So they break things up by story, like how they have labeled the stories. And these little categories and counting the stories as they go is used instead of the page numbers. Uh, So somehow I was at least able to look up what I wanted to look up. Um, A family from the cemetery I was able to find in the book, the Minnehaha County Historical and Biographical Sketches. It was on page 606, story F837. 
The story is on Swenson, Peter, John, and Anne, Lena, Matilda, Swanson. The story states, Peter John Swanson, Swenson, sorry, Peter John Swenson was born June 8th, 1847 in Stockholm, Sweden. He came to America in 1869 and was one of the early pioneers of Dakota. After spending a short time in Illinois, he moved to Mississippi, where he met Anna Lena Matilda Swanson. They were married the latter part of 1869 in Columbus, Mississippi. In 1874, they came to Dakota Territory. They homesteaded and built a sod house on the northeast corner of Section 5 in Brandon Township, Minnehaha County. The land was filed July 17, 1883. Later, they moved across the field to the northeast corner of Section 4, which he purchased and where they built up this farm. He acquired many quarters of land during his lifetime. This land is still owned by the third-generation members of his family. He freighted from Worthington, Minnesota in Sibley, Iowa for C.K. Howard using oxen and served as a supervisor for Brandon Township in the years of 1894 and 1895. In later years, he moved to Corson, South Dakota, when in 1915 to Sioux Falls, where they lived until his death, February 2nd, 1924. His wife, Anna, was born September 6, 1847, to Eric and Kaja Svensson, who immigrated from Stockholm, Sweden, with their family in 1862. They homesteaded in Dakota, southwest quarter of Section 4 of Brandon Township. Their deaths occurred in 1900 and 1897. The Eric Svenssons and Peter John Swenson were charter members of the Swedona Church of Rural Brandon, organized in April of 1877. Peter John Swenson and wife Anne were the parents of 12 children, August Johnny, Matilda Lucy, Joanna Marie Albertina, Carl Edward, Amanda Christine, Inga Marie, Franz Oscar, Emma Cornelia, Otto, Clara Fredericks, oh, Clara Frederica, Herman, and Roy Emanuel. After her husband's death, Mrs. Swenson lived with her eldest daughter until she passed away October 15, 1931. Their burial is in Swedona Cemetery. Mrs. Swenson's parents are also buried there. You can see why I found that story interesting. It's it's a pretty rough little biographical sketch. It mostly has dates and names, places. Doesn't go into their personal lives very much, but what is interesting is I was able to find Peter's obituary, which loudly proclaims in the headline, Pioneer Dies on Saturday. I'm thinking maybe they should have used past tense so it doesn't sound like that we're gathering together the villagers to hunt him down on Saturday, but the obituary states that he died at 3.30 in his home on 820 East 8th Street in Sioux Falls. I see now that this is a little casino in a parking lot. So I'm assuming the house no longer exists unless it was moved to another location. I do get confused, though, because his wife is called Matilda in the article. And while part of her name is Matilda, that's not her first name. And at least in the book, her name is Anna Lena Matilda. And the obituary mentions that he is survived by Matilda and nine of the 12 children that they had. Not too shabby for the time period to have so many children live to adulthood. There's a lot of life stories in this little cemetery, and I look forward to kind of learning more about them when I go to visit again on a warmer day. 
I was kind of excited about this historical marker because I didn't really know anything about it going into it, except I'd seen a sign pointing to historical marker that way when I was on my way somewhere else. And I kind of kept it in the back of my mind. And then one of my history friends, Jim, he gave me this really cool manifest. It's a 13, I'm holding it right now. It's a 13 page long manifest of historical markers. It's all the ones that existed at that time point. It's from 2013. It's really cool. I'm so thankful. It was a really neat um, thing to receive. And so this one day, I was just kind of glancing at it. And I saw this historical marker for rural Brandon, South Dakota. And I wondered, oh, I wonder where that is. And it happened to be the one I'd seen assigned for previously. And so I thought, oh, I'm just going to run out and go check that out. What's cool is when I got there, it's a beautiful church, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And the sign is cool. The church building is cool. I definitely want to go inside someday. The historical marker is beautiful. It is so well kept. They do an amazing job there. Whoever is taking care of that one is superb because it's beautiful. And then across the street is this really cool little cemetery. So that's kind of my little trifecta. (laughs) Cute old church, cute old cemetery, historical marker. Boom. Great morning for me great morning. It's a beautiful little place to visit. It's a fun off the beaten path kind of little area to have a moment to take in that history, to see a building that's been there from from 1913, but has roots going back to before we were a state. It was just when we were the Dakota Territory. It's really neat. It's really neat to think of the lives of these pioneers who are buried in that cemetery. It's cool to see their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren buried in that cemetery. And if not for the hardships and the suffering of their pioneer ancestors, they wouldn't be there. It's so cool. It's really cool to think about. Local Lou actually has a couple fun events on the horizon. I've been invited to a couple neat things. I have a couple fun activities planned for myself, some new historical markers, well, new to me, that I'm going to go check out and share with you guys. I'll likely post pictures of things on Instagram well before there's an episode. I think you guys have found that out by now, but I want to thank you guys so much for, for being here and for listening. Thanks so much for stopping by and for listening, and have a great, wonderful day, guys, and see you back next episode of the Local Lou Podcast.